We'll be reading verses 1 through 33. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands and will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and will give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac lived in Gerar. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, She's my sister, for he was afraid to say she is my wife, thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is beautiful. It came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, certainly she is your wife. How then did you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said I might die on account of her. Abimelech said, what, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might have easily lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech charged all the people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household, so that the Philistines envied him. Now all the wells which his father's servant had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Verse 18. Then Isaac dug again the wells of which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and gave them the same names which his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of water flowing, flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. So he named the water Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over it too, so he named it Sitna. He moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he named it Rehoboth. For he said, At last the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. And then he went up from there to Beersheba. The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants. For the name of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Verse 26. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar, which with his advisor Ahuza and Phicol, the, ar- the commander of his army. Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you, have, since you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, 
that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now blessed of the Lord. Then he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they arose early and exchanged oaths. Then Isaac sent them away, and they departed from, from him in peace. And now it came about on the same day that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug and said to him, We have found water. So we called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of that city, Beersheba, it is the name of that city today. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for your word. And we do pray that as your word is uh, declared in our ears this morning, that you would give listening and understanding to our ears. And with listening and with understanding that our souls and our hearts would be in, engulfed, Lord, with joy. We pray, God, that you would help us to see the main point of this passage that you alone would be glorified as we look into Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, I decrease now that you may increase. Be glorified in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. As we first read this story, it may be possible... That some of us might be thinking, I believe I've heard this story before. And you would be correct. You have heard this story before. Uh, but the first time that you heard it, uh, it was not with Isaac being the center and focus of the story. but ra Rather, it was with Abraham being the center and focus of the story. Uh, you may remember that there was a famine also in Abraham's day. There was also an Abimelech in Abraham's day. Egypt played a part in this story of Abraham as Abraham went, if you remember, down, down, down to Egypt. Abraham lied about his wife, saying that she was his sister. Abraham's herd, herdsmen also quarreled with other herdsmen. Abraham became wealthy. Abraham had peace with his neighbors. And promises were also given to Abraham by way of a covenant. So yes, if you've been following along in this story throughout Genesis, you would be correct in thinking and saying, I've heard this before. It's almost the sequel to Abraham's story, Abraham part two, if you like. So then we must ask, why is this story here? And let me just encourage you, anytime you're reading through the scriptures, always ask the question, why is this here? What's the purpose of this book, of this passage, of this chapter? This story is here for a number of reasons. The story is here because, listen to this, it's the historical account of Isaac. Meaning, because this is what happened. Moses is not writing a fabricated story. He's not conjuring up the story in his own mind and saying, I know what would be a good idea. Uh, let me use Isaac and say the same things that happened to Abraham happened to Isaac. No, this really happened. So when we're reading this, we are reading a true historical account of the life of Isaac. Also, as we're reading through this chapter, we're noticing that Abraham has gone through similar experiences. And now Isaac is going through these same experiences. And the Lord has done this providentially and also purposefully so that we might see these two men, these two patriarchs, these two men of faith, and compare and contrast them. 
We are to put Abraham on the one side and Isaac on the other side, and we are to look at them side by side. It's important to note how many times in this chapter alone the name of Abraham is mentioned. In this chapter alone, chapter 26, the name of Abraham is mentioned eight times just in this chapter. In the remaining 24 chapters of the book of Genesis, the name of Abraham will be used 15 times. So think about that. Just eight times in this, well, a a large amount, eight times in this 26th chapter, another 15 times in the rest of the 24 chapters to come. The scriptures are doing something very intentional. They are causing us, calling us to look at the differences or the similarities or both of Abraham and Isaac. Now, Isaac is walking, if you will, in the footsteps of his father's faith. But he's also walking in some of the footsteps of his father's folly, in in the footsteps of some of his father's sins. The Lord has given to Abraham promises, promises of land, promises of nations, and the promise that through him there would come one seed who would bless the nations. And now God is passing this covenant promise over to Isaac. It is interesting that the story comes immediately after, if you remember last week, the story of Jacob and Esau. And it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting placement of this story. Last week, if you remember, we ended with Esau despises the birthright. He sells the birthright for what? A bowl of red stew. And then all of a sudden, the, the chapter seems to end, and let me just say this, uh, The way this was originally written, it was not written in chapters or verses. It was just a long book. And so what we see here is is what would originally be a flow. There is an ending of a story, if you will, of Jacob and Esau, but then it's kind of going backward into the life of Isaac and Rebekah. We will see in verse 34 that Esau is causing great grief and, and great harm to his father and to his mother. Squeezed in between what Esau has done by despising his birthright and him causing much grief to his mother and father is this story of Isaac being blessed and Isaac going through difficulty in his own life. Let me say, this story is out of place. Meaning this, the story is not chronologically in order. Most theologians believe this. Most theologians believe that when you're reading chapter 25 and then 26 and then 27, that 26 has actually happened before 25. But yet it's being told after 25. Why? I don't know if you've recognized this, but many times in Scripture, the Scripture is not always trying to nicely and neatly present to us a chronological order of events. So, therefore, this is a good... Um, a good tool for you to know when you are talking to people who say, well, the Bible says this first and then that first. How could it be this and then that? It seems like it goes in uh, out of, it seems like it's out of order. And you should say, you're right. It's not intended to be in order. The scriptures are not intending to write for us a chronological perfect order of all things that have happened of all times. If that was the case, then the book of Job would be very early in the Bible, not very towards the middle. Okay, are you with me? Good. We see that God promised to be with Isaac, to bless him. We see that the Lord protects Isaac, even when Isaac acts in fear, not in faith. 
We see that the Lord prospers Isaac's hand, literally. Isaac cannot put a shovel into the ground without water springing forth. We see that the Lord has made him rich, so rich that even the nations have envied him. We see that the covenant promises given to Abraham are now passed on to Isaac. Brothers and sisters, here's another reason why this chapter is here. The end of the last chapter has ended with this. Esau despised his birthright. And then in the 26th chapter, Moses tells us all of the things that Esau lost. Isn't chapter 26 full of of all of the blessings that, that Isaac is accumulating? Isn't it full of God saying, I will bless you? Isn't it full of, of him accumulating wealth, having peace with his neighbors, digging wells? This is everything that Esau gave up. So it's not necessarily out of order. Moses is saying, here's what Esau gave away. At this moment, we must remember, remember this as well. Who were the first readers of the book of Genesis? They were the freed slaves from Egypt. They were the Israelites who were sojourning out of the land of slavery and into the land of promise. And as they are wandering through the desert, they are wandering onward to a promised land. And while they are traveling there, they, like their fathers, will be tempted to fear. But they must remember that God would be with them. They, like their fathers, they might experience famine, but they must trust that God would provide for them. They, like their fathers, would be tempted to go back to Egypt, but they are not to go back to Egypt. They are to trust that God has made for them and prepared for them a land. They might face some of the same struggles as their fathers, but they must remember the promises of God made to Abraham, made to Isaac, and made to Jacob, that they would reap those promises because of their father's obedience. They were to be the benefactors of the covenant promises of God. They must trust in the Lord. And they were not to forsake the inheritance that God gave them. They were not to be like Esau, their distant relative. But they were to walk in faith, the faith of their fathers. I hope that you understand this. Because there is encouragement for us as well in this. Let me say this. As we are walking through this 26th chapter, and all chapters for that matter... It is more important that you understand, that you leave this place better understanding chapter 26. Real quick, pay attention to this. It's better that you understand these chapters than feel good about them. Are you with me? It is way better for you to walk out of service saying, I better understand, or I now understand the word of God better than, boy, do I feel good now. And because if you better understand, or if you understand better, then you will have a better sense of the gospel, which will bring greater joy to your souls. You understand? And so I pray that as we walk through sometimes some of the the minutiae and some of the the difficulties of these chapters, that you would say, but I need to understand. I, I hope to understand, rather than get to the good part so I can feel good. No, this is good. Either way, this is good. I pray that you have joy this morning as you understand God's word. Now, with that long and lengthy introduction uh, and with God's help, we will draw three points from this chapter. Number one, 
the pilgrim's call. I'm not going to read every one of the verses, but I will read the, this one, uh, verses 1 through 3. Genesis verses 26, verses 1 through 3. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give these lands and will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. Again, this chapter may be out of order, and it is. But there are certain themes that the scriptures are picking up on. And that the author is intending for us to see clearly. Now, the author of the book of Genesis, Moses, says there was a famine in the land. And Moses is aware that he's spoken of a famine before. And so he says, not the other famine that I spoke of, not the famine of Abraham's day, another famine, a different famine. But still, Moses is intending to draw our attention back to the other famine. So it's interesting, not that famine. But, hey, speaking of that famine, remember what happened during that famine? In that way. When famine strikes, Isaac does not leave the land of Canaan. But he goes to Gerar, where he meets a man named Abimelech. Now, what did his father do when famine struck the land of, the land that he was moving into, the land of Canaan? What did Isaac, or Abraham do? Abraham left. Abraham went down to Egypt, and when he went down to Egypt, he experienced a number of different trials and difficulties there, right? Isaac does not go down to Egypt. He stays, but we'll find out why he stays. He meets a man named Abimelech. We've met Abimelech before in the 21st chapter of the book of Genesis. Now, I'm going to say this carefully. We don't know for sure if this is the same Abimelech of Abraham's day. We don't know if the name Abimelech was a title that was held by the king of the Philistines, like Pharaoh, king of Egypt. We don't know if Abimelech was a type of title that was held by those who were king. Although as time passed, it's very likely that it is the same Abimelech who made a covenant with Abraham. The reason why is because later we're going to see that he has the same commander, Phicol, the same name. So there's too many coincidences. Abimelech who also has a commander named Phicol, this might most likely be the same Abimelech. Nevertheless, the name is meant for us to see again the comparison and the contrasting between Abraham and Isaac. While Isaac is in Gerar, the Lord appears to him. And let's look at that again. Verse 2, the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Do you see that there? Stay in the land of which I will tell you. When famine struck the land that Abraham or that Isaac was in, the most logical place where one should go in order to find resources to, to be sustained, the most logical place to go, think about it, was Egypt. Now, when you think of Egypt, what do you think of? Who thinks of dirt? <laughs> Who thinks of pyramids? Who thinks of desert? One thing that you probably should think of whenever you think of Egypt is the Nile River. The Nile River literally built the Egyptian empire. If any of you said Nile, good for you. The, the Nile River literally built the Egyptian empire. 
there was, and, and it still exists today, obviously. But think of how much fuller the Nile River was during this time. It was literally uh, wider and longer than, uh, what's that river that flows here through the United States called uh, the Mississippi River? It was wider, it was fuller than the Mississippi River during that time. The land was flourishing because it was being watered by the Nile River. There was a constant flow that watered the land, and the resources there were unlimited. So the obvious uh, no-brainer choice to go when there was a famine in the land was to go to Egypt. You might remember that when famine struck in the days of Abraham, he went down. Rather than trusting it that God would provide for him, he trusted in his own resourcefulness. And again, was caught in a tangled web of deception there. Now here is Isaac. Famine in the land. And there is one question that might have been on Isaac's mind. Should we go down to Egypt? Obviously. There's plenty of resources there to, us, to sustain us. Why suffer in this famine when there is plenty of resources there in Egypt? This would require that Egypt, though, that, that Isaac left the land of promise if he went to Egypt. You may remember that when Abraham was commissioned, uh, when Abraham commissioned his servant to find a wife for Isaac, he gave strict instructions about Isaac. Do you remember what they were? Do not take Isaac out of this land. Isaac's presence in the land was a constant declaration that God had given this land to Abraham and to his descendants. So if Isaac leaves, it's almost forfeiting the promises of God. But here he is. Faced with famine, faced with, with death, really, faced with avoiding the promises of God. And before he can make a decision to go down to Egypt, remember, he's already left the land where he was and he's gone to Gerar. What is he doing? He's actually moving closer to Egypt. He's in a particular part of the land of Canaan. There's a famine there. He goes to Gerar. And that is very close to Egypt. He is on the verge of leaving the promised land. And the Lord appears to him. And what does the Lord say to him? Do not leave. It's a command from God. Do not leave. Stay in the land. Become what your father was. A pilgrim. The Lord was presenting to Isaac Terms, this is important if you're taking notes, terms of the covenant. He gave to Abraham, and now he was establishing, if you will, the covenant with Isaac. We'll discuss this later on in the, in the, in the sermon, but the Lord first gives Isaac a command that are to be followed, and if he obeys those commands, those commands would be Followed by a blessing. If you obey this, you will be blessed. It's, it's the pattern of covenant. If this, then I will. Look at verse 5. The Bible says, uh, Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. If Isaac obeys the call... The covenant promises will be carried on through him. It would have been very easy, as we've said, 
for Isaac to travel down to Egypt to find all that he needed to support his family there. But it would not be an act of faith. It would be an act of the flesh. He would have been committing the sins of his fathers. The Lord commands Isaac to persevere. To trust that God will provide for him. To trust that God will provide for his family. That God will be with him. And that it, it might be said even in the midst of famine. The Lord provides. Imagine there is no food. There is no resources. And yet you are sustained. How in the world are you able to be sustained? God has done this. It would have been very easy to go to Egypt. But then God would have received no glory, would he? It would have been very easy to go to the place where there is plenty. Rather than to be in the place where there is nothing to trust that God will provide. Provision could be attributed to no one else. It could only be the Lord that, that has done this. Only God. And we've seen this before, haven't we? Over and over again, the Lord is telling his people, in spite of how bad it looks, do not fret. I am with you. This was especially encouraging to hear for the people of Israel. As they're first reading this and as they're wandering through the desert, they would be encouraged to know that although it might look bleak, the Lord is with you. You may not have the pots of meat that you had while you were in Egypt, but you were a slave then. And you were no longer a slave. The Lord has freed you. He has promised that not one of his children will be begging for bread. The Lord himself will provide. Isaac was in the land that the Lord called Abraham to. He's not called to another land. But rather, he is in the land. That God called Abraham to. Abraham left his land and went to this land. Isaac is not called to leave that land. He's called to stay in that land. That's called persevering. That's called pressing on. Abraham was a pioneer pilgrim, if you will. He's left one land and gone to another. Isaac was a persevering pilgrim. He's the kind that needs to press on. He's the kind that needs to endure. Isaac calls a little bit different. He's not called to, to uh, start something new, if you will. He's called to keep holding on to that thing which was given to him. He was to stay. And brothers and sisters, how hard is it to stay? To stay put. To simply persevere. Especially when there's famine. How, how many times have you been a, in a job and said, I don't know what I'm doing here. How many times have you been sometimes even in the church and said, I don't know what I'm doing here? Huh? Where we look and say, it looks a lot greener on the other side. It looks like they're having a whole much more fun over there. But to persevere and to press on. To keep walking, even though it seems like you're walking through a desert. We might at times be, temp be tempted to abandon even our faith. We might at times be tempted to, to run back to Egypt, to the world, if you will, and find what we think we're missing there. Listen, for Isaac, the grass was literally greener on the other side. Literally. Walking around, I mean, imagine walking through Shafter. Nobody's from Shafter here, right? Can anything good come out of Shafter? Okay. Uh, imagine walking through Shafter. And just realizing Bakersfield is just right there. 
Or imagine walking through Bakersfield <laughs> and saying, L.A. is just over there. Egypt was a flourishing land, but it was against God's command. It was not what God had called him to do. And we must remember that while we are, are, are the pilgrims in this life, we are going to experience extreme difficulty. We're going to experience extreme pressure. But it's the life that God has called you to. We all want the greener pastures. We all would love to retire, right? But you still got to work. We still have to press on. It, it's, it's the road that God has promised that he would be with you on. Not the road that God said everything is going to be easy on. God said that he would be with Isaac. He was encouraging the children of Israel as they are wandering through the desert. I will be with you. And he's encouraging us today. That as he is with, he was with our father Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, with the children of Israel. He is with the church as well. He will be with us. We must persevere. And the Lord also confirmed that the, the covenant promises given to Abraham, they would be passed on to Isaac. But what will he do? You have Egypt and all of its flourishing uh, providences over there and then you have this land of desert of famine what will you do what will he do let's go on to our next point the pilgrim's test i'm not going to read all of these verses but it is verses 6 through 23 i'll just refer to them from time to time isaac obeys the command of the lord isaac does not go down to egypt rather he stays in gerar when Isaac enters the land, he, we see this familiar pattern. Uh, the men begin to approach Isaac and says, who's that? And Isaac's first response is not, well, that's my wife. His first response is, that's my sister. He was afraid. We saw the same pattern in Abraham, not once but twice. And now we're seeing it again in his son. What was the reason for this? What was the reason for him saying She's my sister. The scriptures tell us in verse 7, because Isaac was afraid. Afraid that he might be killed. And, and you've got to think about this in terms of, of those days. Those days are not like our days. If someone fancies your husband or fancies your wife, they're not going to kill you for them. In those days, the probability of you being killed for your wife or your husband possibly, especially among pagans, is very high. And so Isaac, out of fear that he might lose his life, tries to save his own life. Once again, he does not step in front of his wife and say, she belongs to me. But rather he says, well, she's available. She's my sister. Just don't hurt me. We are told that uh, Rebecca was very beautiful, uh, just like her mother-in-law, Sarah. This verse is one of the indications that we, we have to, to possibly say that this story happened before Isaac and Rebekah ever had Jacob and Esau. It would be hard to convince people, the people of Gerar, that she is only his sister when they are carrying twins and acting more like a family than brother and sister. So, Isaac is in the land, but he has forgotten that God said that he would be with him. He has forgotten that God said that he will be with him and that he will bless him. He immediately forgets the promise of God. 
immediately it seems like Isaac has forgotten the promises of God and is already acting in fear, just like his father, just like us. We shouldn't be surprised by this, should we? How many times have our souls been uplifted by the promises of God as we hear faithful preaching from his word? And as soon as we hear the word of God, we, we leave this place and it seems like almost immediately the doubts that we had forgotten about while we were hearing God's word, they reappear. It seems like almost immediately the fears that we had forgotten about while we were hearing God's word are once again banging in our minds and in our hearts. How often has the enemy of our souls come and snatch the seed, God's word? Right after it has been planted in our hearts. How often have we, have we simply handed over that seed and not fought to hold on to it with all of our life? Dear ones, fear, fear is the enemy of faith. It is that thing that challenges us in the face of God's promises. To worry about whether or not God's promises are true. Dear ones, are you fearful this morning? Are you wrestling with doubt? And are you wrestling with unbelief? Maybe you're just troubled in your soul. And you can't put your finger on it. Maybe you're just weary in your soul. And you just want some kind of relief. Can I say to you, you're in good company. You are in good company. At a conference that we were at this past weekend, we were sitting amongst uh, various people. And the minister had said, pastors, are you weary? Pastors, are you often tempted to give up? And you could see the heads nod. The minister said, you're in good company. Look around you. We will be wrestling with weariness. We will be troubled in our souls. We will be wrestling with fear and doubt. Until the day when fear and doubt are no more. Till the day when trouble is ceased. We must know that fear, it's not a virtue. So for us to say, yes, we all fear, it's not a good thing. We should not all stand there and say, yeah, I fear too. Hey, right on for fear. No, we don't want to fear. We recognize that fear is our enemy. We recognize that fear is not of faith. We recognize also that fear is a sin. Doubt is a sin. And we must ask the Lord to forgive us and to help us to, to trust in him, even when we fear, even when we doubt. But know that even the best of God's men feared at times. May I say to you that there is a remedy for our fears. There is a, a remedy for doubt. There is a remedy for weariness. There, there is a remedy for troubled souls. And it's not far from you. It's not something that you even have to pay for, per se. It's not something that you need to travel in order to receive. 
but rather for many of you, it's in your lap. It is the perfect infallible word of God. It is the word that has stood the test of time. It is the word of God that has not been toppled. It is the word of God that cannot and has not been disproven. It is the word of God that has not lost its power. It is the word of God that makes strong men weak and weak men strong. It is the word that comes from on high, from the creator of all. It is the word that has come from the one who is from everlasting to everlasting. And can I ask you, what other remedy will do? What other comfort for our souls is there? It will not be found in Egypt. It will not be found in Babylon. It will not be found in our jobs or in our educations or in our athletic ability or in our intellectual ability. The remedy for our souls is found only in God's perfect word. What other comfort shall we seek? Second Timothy, listen to this. Second Timothy 1, 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. First Peter 5, 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at proper time, casting all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but love, perfect love, cast out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. 1 Peter 3.13 and 14, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you did suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed, and do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. Hebrews 13.5, make sure your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he has himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Matthew 6.34, so do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will care for itself. Each trouble has enough. Each day has enough trouble of its own. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. Dear ones, shall I go on? Just in those verses, I would wager that many of you, if not just myself, have been encouraged just by hearing God's word. Where do we run when we are confronted with fear? Where do we run when we are confronted with doubt, when our souls are troubled, when we are weary in soul and body? Where do you go? I've just read to you five verses, and just in those five verses, you've said yes and amen. Yes and amen. Thank you, Jesus. Why would you run anywhere else? Run to his word. He's calling you to his word. Don't run to a psychic. Don't run to your best friend. Run to God's word. He is a friend that will never leave you. He is a friend that lays down his life for you. When you are confronted with fear, doubt, weariness, and trouble from the world, the flesh, and the devil, run to God. Run to God. Remember his promises. Hold fast to them when we are challenged. Christ, he even gives us a great picture of what to do. 
When we are faced with fear as he was wrestling in the Garden of Eden, knowing that he was soon to take the cup of God's wrath. And he says, God, let this cup, if it be your will, let it pass before me. But in the face of fear, he persevered with this. Not my will, but your will be done. This does not mean that we're never going to fear. But it does mean that when we persevere, it will only be because the hand of God is carrying us along. When we press on, when we are confronted with fear and doubt and worry and trouble, turn to God's word. There you will find your solace and there you will find your peace. Isaac is confronted after he is caught. Your Bible may say laughing with, and it's funny how the scriptures play upon Isaac's name. Isaac's name means laughter. He is sitting with his wife and he is laughing with her. My scripture says caressing her. It appears to be that they are acting more like husband and wife than brother and sister. And he is caught red-handed. Caught red-handed by Abimelech. The Abimelech, Abimelech then confronts him. She is your, your wife, not your sister. Why, why did you lie? This scene may have caused a dreadful deja vu in the mind of Abimelech. You may remember that Abimelech sought to take Sarah as his wife. And during the night he slept and God appeared to him. And here's what God said to him. You're a dead man. <laughs> and Abimelech said, what did I do? I didn't, I didn't do anything to her. Yeah, but she's his. If you don't give her back, y'all are dead. Abimelech sees now Abraham's son and this whole scene is playing all over again in his mind. He says, what are you, what are you trying to do to me? You're killing me over here. Small, I don't know, that came out, sorry. Just like Abraham, Isaac makes, or just Abimelech makes an, an edict concerning Isaac and his wife. And here's the edict. If anyone touches them, you are dead. Why? Because the Lord threatened me last time. I'm not going down for all of you guys. If y'all touch him, you are dead. I'm not going down for you guys. Again, I do believe that he has seen this story before. The hand of God is all over that law, isn't it? And isn't this what God had promised? I'm with you. I will bless you. That he would be with Isaac. And this reminder had come from the lips of a pagan king. Isaac has gone into the land fearful. And he's been reminded by a pagan king that God is with you. Matter of fact, he will even say later, you are too strong. He will even say later, we see now the Lord is with you. He is constantly being reminded even by non-believers, God is with you in some way. Don't you recognize that or see that sometimes when you're at work or you're among other believers? There's something about you. I want to work when you work because for whatever reason, when you work, the things seem to be a little bit more peaceful here. But you also may be like some of the other ones that we're going to talk about in a moment. You may be opposed as you carry on your daily affairs. Isaac sows in the land and he reaps 100 fold. We are told that he grows wealthy and his flocks and herds are growing. God has promised to bless him and it's happening. But there's another challenge. At this time, it was not fear from within, but rather it was opposition from without. 
he was now being challenged by others. Matter of fact, the Philistines were envious of his wealth. They were envious of the blessings that he was receiving. The beginning of the chapter begins with a dilemma, a famine. And then we move on to another dilemma. The wells that Abraham had dug, they've all been filled up. Now, you might remember chapter 21 of the book of Genesis. There was a covenant made between Abraham and Abimelech that these were his wells, that they would be his wells and belong to all of his descendants. Now they have been stopped up. Abimelech has broken covenant. It would be worthy if Abraham was still alive of death. But Abraham's not here anymore. The Bible actually says that they filled them when Abraham died. It was almost as if Abimelech said, great, I don't owe Abraham anything anymore. Fill those suckers up. This is now to connect the idea that water, which could have solved the problem of famine, has been taken away. Famine in the land. He's being blessed, and, and the way that he can continue to be blessed is if he has water. So he goes to those wells, which are rightfully his, but now there's a problem. They've been filled up. Another problem, another dilemma. Isaac actually is told to go away. Abimelech says, leave us. You're too powerful for us. Now, this could be that he was too many in number, or it could be that Abimelech is just recognizing the Lord is with this guy. I don't want anything to do with him here. So he's sent away. And now he's faced with the challenge of finding water. He returns to the wells of his father so that they might be reopened, and he is faced with opposition on every side. We must remember again, this was the, 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 the water that would sustain them. This was no small matter. They needed water. And each time he is seeking to recover water, and it's rightfully his, he's opposed. Would there be a temptation now to say, let's just go to Egypt? Of course. He's now facing the challenge of trusting God's promise again taking the easy route again, but he doesn't. Isaac trusts the Lord. And again, this is an encouragement to the first readers. The children of Israel are, are, are somewhat experiencing what their fathers experience. They're seeking to return to a land promised to Abraham and to Isaac. The land was already inhabited, but it belonged to their fathers. God promised this land to them. And they would be opposed at every turn as they sought to take possession of that land. They too would be tempted to go back down to Egypt like their fathers. But they were to trust that the Lord would be with them and that the Lord would bless them. When they faced opposition, God himself would fight for them. And let this also be an encouragement to us. We are going to be challenged as we sojourn through the world. Some of you right now, even as you're sitting here this morning, as we're talking about opposition, you know that you're being opposed by certain people even on your job. You're being opposed even by family members. You're being opposed by those whom you would least expect to oppose you. And there is great temptation to act like they act, to be as they are, right? We will all be tempted to either return to Egypt or to act like the inhabitants of Babylon. 
Brothers and sisters, trust that the Lord is with us. He's promised not to leave us or forsake us. He is our shield and our protector. Come what may, whether it be riches or whether it be poverty, whether it be sickness or whether it be health, trust the Lord is with us. And the Apostle Paul knew this well. Listen, as he was being opposed for his preaching of the gospel. I'd like you to turn to this and look at it. Philippians chapter 10 or 4 and verse 10. It's a verse that most of you know. It's a verse that has been used and often misused and taken out of its context. I'd like you to see it because I want you to see the context of it. And whenever you use it, use it rightly. We're speaking about opposition. 4.10. Speaking about opposition. And how the Lord is with us even when we are opposed. But opposed as we do what? That's important. The Lord is with us as we are being opposed, but as we are being opposed, as we do what? Right? But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have received or revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry and going, or both, of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. As he did what? As he made the gospel known. As he has made the gospel known, he has experienced all of the adversities of life. And in the midst of all of the adversities of life, he has learned what it means to be poor and what it means to be rich, what it means to be hungry and what it means to be full. And in all of those circumstances that he has experienced while making the gospel known, he's come to this one conclusion. that I can do all of these things with Christ who gives me the strength to do them. Let that be an encouragement to you as you are opposed in this world. As you try to make the gospel known and as you are opposed in this world. Let us come to the place that no matter what circumstance we experience. No matter what opposes us. That we trust in this as we make the gospel known. Not as we seek to uh, win a game. Or as we seek to win a fight. Or get a job. Or ace a test. But as we seek to obey Christ. And to live out lives that have been transformed by the gospel. That we can do all those things. Which glorify him and make his name known. We can do them through Christ. Even when we are opposed. Even when we are opposed. When faced with the test. Isaac the pilgrim. He trusts in the Lord. And because of his trust in the Lord, the Lord confirms his covenant with him. Let's finish with this. The pilgrim's covenant. The pilgrim's covenant. Uh, we've already read verses uh, 1 through 3. I'd like to read to you now 3 and 5. Because they're going to connect and bring to a close that which we are discussing this morning. 3 and 5. 
Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and bless you for to you and to your descendants. I will give all these lands and will I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham here. He says I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven heaven and will give your descendants all these lands and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge my commandments my statutes and my laws. We've heard the promises before. The promises were first given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abraham out of his land and his away from his kindred into a land that he would show him. You remember in in Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, God promised land nations and God promised that through Abraham. This is important now. It's technical, but it's important. Would come a seed that would bless the nations. That seed, of course, is the. Seed of Genesis 3.15, the skull-crushing seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord now comes to Isaac and reveals, listen to this, the same covenant promises. Brother, can you turn the air on? Isaac is the one the Lord had promised Abraham that the covenant blessings would be advanced through. The Lord promised land, nation, and that a seed would come and bless the nations to Isaac now. Now, listen, through this covenant promise, the gospel that was revealed to Abraham is now revealed to Isaac. You remember this, and if you don't, go back to Genesis chapter 12, listen to verses 1 through 3, and you'll you'll hear the gospel being revealed to Abraham. It is revealed in this, through you all of the nations will be blessed. And that is, through your seed, all of the nations will be blessed through that seed. Isaac would have known the gospel because it would have been taught to him by his father who passed that gospel promise along. Who Abraham learned it from God as God revealed that gospel to him. The Lord reveals to Isaac, write this note down, the covenant of grace. He not fulfills, this is important, reveals the covenant of grace to Isaac that he would be a partaker of. It's the promise of Listen to this, and take this note down as well. The covenant of grace is the new covenant. It's what, and there's these three interchanging. It's the new covenant. It's the covenant of grace. It's the covenant of redemption. All of these are synonymous with the fact that Christ would come and redeem man from his slavery to sin and from the just wrath of God. If you want to hear those again, come and talk to me afterwards. I'll, I'll give you all of those. Evidence that Isaac believed this promise, this gospel. What's the evidence that Isaac believed? Well, what did God command him to do? Stay. Stay, and he also calls him to be a sojourner. He says, stay and sojourn through the land. Now, who has been a sojourner? Who has been a pilgrim? Abraham has been the pilgrim. Abraham has been the tent dweller. Abraham is the one who was saying, we will wander and pilgrimage through this land until God brings us to the place of promise. He calls Isaac to the same exact covenant. And how do we know, again, that Isaac believed this gospel promise? He stays. He does not go down to Egypt. And isn't obedience evidence that one has believed the gospel? Yes, Evidence that you believe the gospel is that you obey the commands of Christ. You've been saved from the law, from its curse, 
by Christ who has fulfilled the law so that you may now come and obey the law. Not to be saved, but as evidence that you have been saved. When we obey, we show that we have a new king. And our king is the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaac still has his sins, right? He still wrestles with things like fear. But when faced with the test of obedience, he does not go down to Egypt. But he obeys the Lord and stays in the land of promise. He was opposed there, wasn't he? But he does not succumb to the temptation of aborting the promises of God. Because of his obedience, the Lord confirms his covenant with Isaac. Look at verse 23 and 25. And you will see... Yes. The writing there is different as well, isn't it? It almost is written in poetic language. And it's meant to recall something that has already been said. Look at verse 23. Then he went up there from Beersheba. Then the Lord appeared to him that same night. When does the Lord appear to, to Isaac? While he's facing opposition? No. When he's finally come to the place, because God says, sojourn until I take you to the place that I will show you. He gets to the place where God shows him, then God appears to him. To do what? To confirm you have passed the test. You have obeyed. You have experienced the fear. You have experienced opposition. I told you not to leave. You have also come to the place that I showed, that I said I would show you. You're here now. Now I will confirm my covenant with you. I hope that you see this as the condition of the covenant. The Lord then presents the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant saying to him, I am the God of your father. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac, so he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. The first time the Bible says that Isaac called upon the name of the Lord. What is this? It is evidence that he is, yes, a believer. That he has called upon the name of the Lord. He has obeyed the command. And now he is walking with the Lord. This is God's condescension to man. And we've seen this throughout this chapter that Isaac has believed the word of the Lord. He's trusted in the promises of God. Isaac has kept the terms of the covenant. Therefore, Isaac is at peace with God. And he's also at peace with his neighbors. We're going to see that, but... His response is, is worship. He, the Lord even makes his enemies at peace with him. Abimelech who sent him away, it's kind of comical, but Abimelech who sent him away, he comes and finds him and says, hey, let's make a covenant. Let's have peace because we see that God is with you. And we've only done good to you. You can attest to that. We've only been good to you. I would have been, you only been good to me. And that's the first thing that Isaac says when they show up. What are y'all doing here? You guys hate me. And they go, no, 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 no. We want to be at peace with you. Because we see that God is with you. And we've only done good to you, Isaac. Here's the comical part. We've only done good to you. We sent you away in peace. They chased him off every time he tried to build a... So that's the kind of thing that I think about. Every time that he tried to do something that was rightfully his, they're saying, no, no, no. And now they're coming to him and saying, hey, let's, let's have peace. Why does all of this matter in closing? Remember, it was first written to a people who were facing similar challenges. 
they needed to know that the challenges were not for nothing. God was with them. God would bless them. They would inherit the promises of their fathers. But here's the second thing, and I think it will be the thing that makes at least more, uh, is more applicable for you maybe this morning. This advanced the story of redemption taught throughout the scriptures. How so? Genesis means origins, beginnings. And we are seeing the origins or the beginnings of the covenant promises that will ultimately be fulfilled in Christ. We are witnessing the unfolding of God's plan for salvation for the world. This is the story of, of, of the entire scriptures being unfolded here. The very beginnings of the story of the gospel being told here and, and, and being progressed here. When the Lord promises blessings through the nation to the nations by a seed. We may say, yeah, blessings to the nations. You're part of the nations. So you may be reading Genesis chapter 26 and saying, oh, through you a seed will come and bless the nations. Hello. That means you. That means me. We are the benefactors of the one who has come, who has lived and who has died, who has risen, who has ascended. We are the benefactors of the blessing that he has given to the nations. We are the nations. We are witnessing the origins and the advancements of those promises that have ultimately touched your and my soul. These promises are made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. But they include you because they're fulfilled in Christ. Praise be to God. You take part in the fullness of the rewards that Christ has earned as Abraham's greater son, as Isaac's greater son, as Jacob's greater son. Of course, we are not waiting to inherit the land of Canaan. Peter says, we who are in Christ in this new covenant era are awaiting the new heavens and the new earth wherein righteousness dwells. That's what we are awaiting for. All of that is ours. It's yours in Christ. Oh, we don't say, I can't wait to take possession of the land of Canaan. Rather, we look forward to inheriting something that Canaan typified, something greater than Canaan. The new heavens and the new earth. With our biblical theology class that we've been doing, there's that picture of the gold cube coming down whose walls are like jasper. And John the Revelator sees that, that gold city coming down, and then all of a sudden he can't see it anymore because he's in it. That is where we're going. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what Abraham saw and said, I'm glad. This is God's plan of redemption. Dear ones, I pray that as you sojourn through this temporal Babylon, that you remember God is with you. That God has blessed you in Christ Jesus. Read Ephesians 1. Though we may be tempted to fear from within and be opposed from without. The Lord has promised to bring you and I home safely to Zion. We now have peace with God. And when we are there we will worship him. There will be no famine. There will be no contention. Christ will quench our every thirst. Satisfy our every need.
Brothers and sisters, persevere. Press on. Though it may look bleak, though you may be disappointed by people, even sometimes by believers, press on. Let's pray.